Arigata, Mr. Nakata. Pleased to meet you, my name is Johnny Walker. I'm very sorry you do not like whiskey. Can I get you a decapitated kitty? I promise that I didn't want to hurt them. I just need their souls to build a giant woodwind. Giant flute to steal souls like a bandit. You're simple, you may not understand it. Here's the sack of cats, now I am gonna kill them all, finishing with coma. Unless you're gonna have to come and kill me. Otherwise, I'm gonna stab these kitties like yeah, yeah. Pop a pussy in my mouth, it is my art. Yeah, yeah. Chopping on a pussy was his beating heart. Yeah, yeah. Stop me now, a little coma never goes home. Ha, yeah. Venerating leeches will lead you to the bone. Hello, hi, here I am. Guys, you are listening to the Kill Your Gods podcast, and this is episode two of five as we discuss Haruki Murakami's Kafka on the Shore, chapters 11 to 20. My guest this week, I saw they had also done an episode on uh, Kafka on the Shore. I really wanted to have them on. That would be Nate, Jimmy, and Mike from the Drunk Guys Book Club podcast. I had a great time with these guys. Um, Yeah, I guess I have to address that uh, opening song i haven't done a song in a bit so i thought i would write a song about good old johnny walker and his love of cats and eating their hearts the weirdest thing about listening back to that i hadn't realized i could make a cat sound pretty good it just sounds like a dude making a cat sound to me but i listen back to the recording like ooh, have i have i found a whole new career path to go down well, I'd be the Frank Welker of the podcast there. Frank Welker does a lot of animal voices. You've probably He did the voice of Nibbler on Futurama. Uh, yeah, I loved having these guys on. Go check out the Drunk Guys Book Club podcast. Enough of, oh, I just got back from my bachelor party. That was a lot of fun. Uh, without getting into too much details, yeah, we're. I think I'm going to try to get all these episodes recorded, and uh, I will be getting married May 1st, and I'll be on my honeymoon May 3rd to 7th, but there will be a new episode up. We should be wrapping up Murakami. I think what I'm going to do, formatting update, I think what I'm going to do, because you guys know I like to talk about a lot of different things, I think we're going to move on a month-to-month basis. In this case, April 2021 is the month of Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami. And I think next month we're going to do a bunch of music episodes. And then after that, we'll go back to the Bible. And then so on and so forth. This way I can get to a lot of different topics. And I always look at it as, hey, this way, if you hit a month and you're like, eh, I'm not interested in this, you know you can always come back next month. And there will be more stuff there for you. So follow me at all the things at Jesse Dram. Uh, kill your gods. Uh, well, it's at Mr. Jessica, but if you put in kill your gods, my YouTube will come up. Um, no stand up coming up right now, as far as I know. I have a musical roast battle that I still need to write jokes for tomorrow against Jay Simpson. Go look up Jay Simpson uh, comedy on YouTube. That guy writes musical comedy and he's hilarious. He's part of the reason I've started writing again. Uh, I might have. <laughs> He has a song about, uh, pretty much it's from the point of view of Prince, if he were a baby. And the chorus is, uh, put your titty in my mouth! So, I might have taken a little inspiration from that. Thank you, Jay. Check him out. He actually has a tour of Alabama coming up. So, again, yeah, look up Lamare Lee, who was on a few weeks ago. 
look up uh, Jason Simpson. They're going to be on a tour through, like, I think, I know they're playing a show in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So go check out, like, the extended Kill Your Gods universe, wherever they may be in a venue near you. I don't know. I've done enough talking. I hope you guys love the stupid song. Go check out the Drunk Guys Book Club podcast, because I think I'm going to be going on there sometime soon to discuss a different book. Here we are again on the Kill Your Gods podcast. We're in the middle, in the middle. We're slightly before the middle. We're at part two of five of Murakami's Kafka on the Shore, chapter 11 to 20. So get your books open and uh, we're going to get right into some hand jobs right out the gate. Joining me, my guest this week from the Drunk Guys Book Club podcast. It is Mike. It is Nate. It is Jimmy. Drunk Guys Book Club podcast. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Indeed. Good. Yeah, very glad to have you. So, yeah, I was uh, pretty much whenever I'm doing a series like this, just because my own thing tends to be I love reading books and none of my friends like reading books. It's only because I'm better than them, of course. But uh, so when I'm looking for guests like this, typically I'm just looking, I'm searching other podcasts. I'm searching uh, Twitter, just seeing anybody who mentioned it. And I saw that you guys had mentioned Kafka on the shore and just the concept of the Drunk Guys Book Club is something else uh how did you guys start and if you want to throw your social media in there any anywhere place we can find you we're all over the place uh we're on twitter at drunk guys bc jimmy what are the other ones i don't even know uh facebook and instagram at drunk guys book club which is pretty straightforward yeah and uh so it started uh oh many years ago uh this is our fourth year of doing this 2000 july 2017 we started Okay. Um, officially, but Nate and I had been working on it for like a, more than a year before that, just kind of waiting to get the energy to actually edit and post something. Mm. Uh, but we would drink a lot of beers and talk books as part of our conversations. We thought it'd be a fun idea for a podcast. And then, you know, uh, 200 plus episodes later, here we are. Wow, that's great. How do you guys uh, know each other? What's the origin? Jimmy and I went to high school together, actually, and uh, have, you know, kept in touch uh, for better or for worse. And then uh, <laughs> Nate and I worked together at one point, um, and and we were, you know, we Nate and I started the podcast, and then Jimmy was one of the, our friends that were like, "Hey, can you listen to this and tell us how much it sucks or what we could do to make it better?" <laughs> and he had uh, feedback, and and then I guess I don't know exactly, Jimmy. How do you remember? But how? Uh, uh, I joined around like episode 22 or 21 or something like that for, um, what was it called? Uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, uh that was the first Orange. batch. Did. It was clockwork orange. I think was the first one or something like that. Yeah. And then and Nate and I were like, let's see if he, let's see if he's any good. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we kept him around cause he brought really About good beers. Dick jokes later. We were like, okay, he's a hundred. Oh yeah. That was that was the first episode, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, Dickens it's the first place for it. It sounds like a plural of dickle right there. So I think yeah. it's the old uh, Middle English version or something. It's <laughs> We're just we're just in the middle of recording episodes for our we're doing all Shakespeare this month. Oh. So seems okay. Nice. I actually I looked up what was your last episode to go up and I saw you were doing Midsummer Night's Dream, which uh I I played Demetrius in high school. Yes. See one of the four people uh, yes, I yes, he's he's, yeah. he's one of the four lovers. I think he's like the wussier of the two. I think I, I forget who he ends up with. Gets into know. a slap fight with somebody. Yeah. I do remember the slap fight scene. <laughs> so 
Um, what exact? Well, let, let me ask. What's been your most popular episode so far, as far as like just downloads and interaction? I'm very, I'm very curious what book people react to, especially with the book alcoholism crossover. Well, the the episodes from the first year have the most downloads because they've just kind of been out for mm. the longest time, and obviously, or we found very early that sort of the more famous the book, the more downloads it was going to get. So we just tried to stick to just famous things, but we've now done a lot of them. I believe um, 1984 is still probably our most our most downloaded episode. Okay, okay. The dumb ones that, do that well too. That was one too. of our earliest ones. Mm-hmm. Have you guys covered Infinite Jest yet? Because that's actually how this podcast started. No, we, we have not. not. It's on not. our to-do list. Uh, I've read it uh, and I actually liked it. So I don't know if we could be friends, but... <laughs> uh, it's, it's just you know since we do a weekly book podcast you know, oh yeah that's a big investment I, mean, I, I when i read it the first time it was like a full-time job essentially to read that book and that was about three weeks of reading it uh, it, it took me six months to read the whole thing for the podcast it was it was it, it was something i definitely liked it more than after when i first tried it but god damn that was a slog it really was as you can imagine i got some very well-written hate mail throughout the entire process of that <laughs> hate mail with footnotes and uh... oh, yeah. <laughs> hate mail with footnotes and uh you know definitions you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, on our list to do we we we, we might we were considering either we at some point we'll have to do it i guess do we break it up into smaller pieces or do we you know we we try to do that on our, our patreon to do like a read-along thing so maybe maybe we'll do that at some point or we'll just suck it up and get a head start and read it all for one week we don't know yet there you go. I mean, it, honestly, if you wanted to really infuriate David Foster Wallace fans, if you just kind of skimmed through it and did an episode, I, I think that would infuriate. <laughs> yeah, so this is basically what happened. I don't know. It's. <laughs> I didn't read any of the footnotes. Some French Canadian guys. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, Kafka on the Shore. Are you guys big? Are you into uh, Murakami? What is your actual like literary background like? Do you, uh, you know, would be a good question. The three of you each, what's your favorite book of all time? Oh, geez. I'll let someone else go first. Uh, uh, I have, I have no idea. I guess I don't quite have favorites, mm. but none they're, of us are. They're English all majors. your, they're all your beautiful children. You just can't yeah. choose. <laughs> well, that's not true. I can definitely choose some, uh, there are definitely plenty of books we've done on the podcast that I do not like. Um, and many of our episodes are in fact making fun of shitty books that deserve it so um though we have not done anyway um so none of us are english majors in fact between the three of us we have three music degrees um so i guess that means i get one (laughs) average is out yeah uh yeah so we uh so we just kind of read we're readers we just read books really for fun and Mm. Mike and I would go get a beer after work and be like, hey, what are you reading right now? And then turn it into a podcast. And that's kind of where we are. Nice. Okay. Uh, Jimmy and Mike, favorite books? I don't have a favorite myself. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say I have like a top 10 and Kafka on the Shore would be in the top 10. Okay. I, I like this book a lot. It's a fucking weird journey, but, and I don't think I get it, but I enjoy it. <laughs> For me, I, I also don't have like a single favorite book anymore. Um, but there are certain things that stand out that like I, I guess for me the big test is would I ever want to read it a second time or a third time? Mm. And there aren't many books that I I would want to like. 
you know, there's so many other things I've, I'll never have the chance to read. Why would I spend time on something again? Mm. Um, but things that I've read multiple times, I, I really loved American Gods uh, by Neil Gaiman. We read mm. that for the podcast, and that was the second time I read that, and I loved it. And, you know, like I'm like due to read it again. Like that's, that's certainly up there. Uh, I really dug uh, like some stuff we did recently I thought was really good. Like uh, I really liked Where the Crawdads Sing. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's my favorite book ever, but like of the recent shit we've read in the last year yeah. or two, was that, that was, was solid, a fantastic yeah. book. Yeah. So was The Overstory by uh, Richard Powers. That's a masterpiece. Like so. Um, and then like more classic Stoner. Stuff. Stoner was awesome. What's that guy's name? Uh, uh, William. John Williams. John Williams. Yeah. Com- famous composer John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Orchestrated. There's that music degree. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to look into all of those because, like I said, honestly, aside from my fiance, I really do not have anyone close to me who is way, way into books. I am kind of a man without a country, which speaking of. (laughs) I was about to say, when you mentioned people I've reread over and over again, it's. It's hilarious that I do it because Kurt Vonnegut was a famous atheist, but like there is something kind of spiritual to me about Kurt Vonnegut. Not in any like afterlife kind of way, but just in a like, this is what this is what God should be saying to me. Like, it's all bullshit, but it's going to be okay. And, you know, <laughs> don't trust women. Or, I don't know. <laughs> it is funny. All right. I think God says that in the Old Testament. So. Pretty so, much right away. <laughs> one, one of the other book series we're doing on this podcast is so far we have done two episodes of the Bible just on Genesis. And, uh, Ooh, that Peter is, Gabriel was in it. I don't really like when he left. Uh, the Phil Collins I, years were not great. The Phil Collins years are <laughs> underrated. Okay. We don't need the, the, the Fox guy. Actually, all right. Before we get into it, just because being a musician myself, what's what's your musical background that you all have music degrees? Like, are you all music teachers or were you trying to do something? Are you like Berkeley guys? Where are you I, from? Mike and I are from New York. Nate is from the distant Shire. I, I am from no, I'm from the New Shire. Oh right, mm, an underhill, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went to Berkeley twice, uh, but I don't work in music, much like people who went to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I I am a big believer in uh, Berkeley. I am a big prog dork, as my dream theater tattoo would say. Oh yeah, who all <laughs> met there, of course. We were discussing dream theater in our uh, last episode. Really? What? What about? Not Last episode we were recording, not in the. Uh... <laughs> Just saying how a lot of the, like if you take any pair of words from Hamlet, it sounds like a dream theater song. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, like suits of woe. I kind of, that's definitely got to be a prog metal song. Like, oh, that's a, that, that, that's from Count of Tuscany. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just random phrases. Like this just sounds like a track list from my Spotify Discover Weekly prog list. Like I don't really know what this is. <laughs> I, I love Prague so much in that, like the reason I love Dream Theater amongst all the others is like when it comes to Prague, there is a thin razor wire of cheesiness that like it needs to be just so. And if you fall one way or the other, it's like I'm listening to Dungeons and Dragons. Why am I wasting my life? But if it hits <laughs> just that right, like, you know, like, oh, it's it's about a future where music is outlawed. Like, eh, I, I don't know, guys. Like, but wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. He's trying to find his the, his killer in a past life. Like, I'm fucking in. Okay. <laughs> Very happy. Where does uh, Coheed and Cambria fall on that line for you? 
I've never been able to get all the way in. I like I like the singles. I'm a chump. I like Welcome Home. I like Favorite House Atlantic. Uh, I don't know any of their songs. I just know that they have a mythology. And I don't know if it was too cheesy or not cheesy enough or just the right amount. They of have cheese. their own comic books. It's too cheesy. It, it's Wisconsin level cheese. Ooh. It's it's, it's not for the lactose intolerant. I mean, is there anything more prog metal than like a six foot five bushy haired singer singing only in falsetto? Uh, a Canadian Anything that... one. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> Rush. Mm. Okay. Well, singing I... about Ayn Rand. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? We've talked about her on this podcast quite a bit because uh, as as a white boy from the suburbs of lower class means, I was a I was a big Ayn Rand fan from like 19 to 23, which is another way of saying that I was insufferable and no fun to be around. <laughs> Oh, well, that's that's the time to read. I, that's why I went through my uh, Ayn Rand phase and read. Uh, that's about how long it takes to read Atlas Shrugged. So <laughs> that's that's fine. See, even being into it, I was really disappointed by Atlas Shrugged because I felt like, and even now, I, I still think obviously I've grown past the selfishness aspect of it. But like Fountainhead, I almost feel like without the entire objectivist movement and Atlas Shrugged fountainhead would be remembered much better as like oh that was such a unique story with like very unique character motivations but then when she tried to apply that philosophy to the planet it just fucking crumbled like there's literally a hundred pages in that book that is just repeating the premise of the entire of everybody's character motivations it's not well written when the man manages to take over the radios of the world and make them listen to his speech that's, mm-hmm. We've not done Atlas Shrugged in the podcast. One day we will. Thank I God. hope I never have to. <laughs> but it's, she's like one of those people who wrote the same book six times. She just kept like adding to it and adding to it. It's like kind of like a George Lucas type approach to making something. It's like, I have a really good idea, but it needs more midgets, you know? Like, and then. <laughs> you, you know what I've actually said before? If there are two biographies I've ever read that will make you lose complete respect for somebody. It's strange bedfellows, Ayn Rand, because you've come to find out that like she had this entire mythos and then she, she used that philosophy to convince her, basically convince her followers to sleep with her and why that was okay. And then if you also convince her husband, it was okay. And you convince her (laughs) husband, like, honey, you know how I'm a philosopher. Let's be objective about this. (laughs) But the other one, weirdly enough, Eric Clapton's autobiography. I have never disliked somebody so much. Was that uh, Don't Go Near That Window? What was the name of that book? (laughs) (laughs) said 57 floors is just high enough, I think, right? Uh, You know what he did a few times? Because he was like an art school kid. And he explained that, that like a few times in his career, he would like, let's just put it out under a different name and like, let the music stand on its own. And every single time it sold nothing. And he panicked and said, throw my name on it, throw my name on it right away. And just like, I, I, I love seeing idealists destroyed over and over again. Anyway, you guys ready to get into this book? Absolutely. As ready as ever. All right, so like I said, we're just going to go through. Anytime you have interrupt to discuss anything, just do it. We did, I think, luck out in terms of which chapters we got, because this is a real yeah, this is fucking a, this is an awesome meat of, oh, the yeah. Book section. of the book section. Oh, yeah. So I, will, I wasn't lying when I said we're starting right off with hand jobs. It's like middle school all over again. In soccer... From your sister? Maybe. <laughs> no spoilers. I, don't have and, uh... I haven't read this yet. Eastone State. <laughs> I, I thought our eyes looked similar. Um, okay. In Sakura's apartment, chapter 11, in Sakura's apartment, Kafka tells Sakura about running away from home and that his mother and sister left the family when he was just four. 
Sakura tells Kafka that the only person he can rely on is himself. Before long, Sakura tells Kafka he can get into bed with her, but they can't have sex since she has a boyfriend in Tokyo. So real quick, I don't want to paint myself as a player here, but I don't think there's ever been a situation where I've been invited in someone's bed and like, by the way, we can't have sex because of X, Y, Z. And then something doesn't happen. She's pulling the old internet boyfriend uh, excuse nah. there. You know, They don't have Canada in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Too far. Called Korea. <laughs> I, ha- I, I have a boyfriend in Tangatsu province. <laughs> she does say, just think of us in brother and sister. And he's like, that does it for me. I don't care. Yeah, that's <laughs> so just like, I, I, well, I can work with that. I, I don't want to give too much away, but Oedipus is definitely one of the themes of this book. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's there's something with literature in general that I think they all like a little bit of incest. It just works its way into too many things. Interestingly, so, if, if the other pronunciation of Oedipus is what he was hoping to do, which is Oedipus, and uh, <laughs> he didn't get a chance to, to return the favor, which is unfortunate. Uh, yeah. he, it made him seem more selfish than he is. Uh, so, yeah, so she starts to give him a hand job while asking him questions about his older sister, which, of course, just come immediately. Just, uh, the next morning, Kafka... That's not we- normal? No, that's not normal. It's like, yeah, so tell me, how's your mother? It's very pragmatic. Hold on. So really, like, right after, I'm trying to find the quote here. Give me a second. Right after he finishes, she says immediately, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I was your sister? It's just like, it's literally (laughs) the next line. Like, right there, like. What? This like, is a, what, what? Not well. Now it would be. This, book. this is a it's, great example of order of operations being important because she said that right before he came, it would be very different. I was gonna say it, it, it's so it, it, it's so out there that I have to like. Is this foreshadowing or is she just a freak? Because that's like a little on the nose. Either way, everyone oh, wait, in this maybe book she is a had freak. a little on her nose. <laughs> <laughs> he does have that strong, you know, fifteen-year-old spurt going, probably. Oh, dude, 15 years old? I could hit the fucking ceiling fan. Those are, those are better times. You could spackle with it. You could just... <laughs> uh, so it's okay, the it, full it quote. A, it, Sorry, it's this is just too good. There, yeah. uh, no so, do you feel better? Definitely. <laughs> I'm glad. I was just thinking how nice it'd be if I was your real sister. Yeah. And right away, I was like, oh, I gotta highlight that. Maybe this is from the Alabama section of Japan. Ooh. Forget which uh, which part of Japan that is exactly. Is it Okinawa? Is it's 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 the part that will rise again. That's the part. Of this. Um, I, I also I was complaining about this in the last episode. Rise it's just sun like, again. <laughs> it's, I I feel like any any like actual runaway must be like oh yeah that's what happens you run away from home and people let you live in their library and a nice girl gives you a hand job like anybody it is. Who's, Almost that, except it's usually a much older man, and you don't get to be let. They don't let you live in their drive in their garage. You have to live there. <laughs> you could think of it as being let live there, but that makes it easier. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have a choice. All right, so the next morning, Kafka wakes to find that Sakura has gone to work, leaving him alone. He's not sure what to do next. He feels as if he is being pulled by destiny to the Komura Memorial Library. That's, of course, after a night of feeling himself pulled in a very different way. 
he, he actually leaves her a very nice note where he's even like, you know, I, I, I did the dishes. I cleaned up. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Thanks. Would you say that he, uh, <laughs> oh boy. this is how we normally make our segues for beer. So for us, it makes sense, but for other people, it might not, but I'd say that he got a little gushy. <laughs> That's a good one. Is that, is that the only beer we have pulled here? I don't have any. We oh, each no. have one or so. Yeah. But, uh, I got this for later in the book in this section, but I think it fit pretty well here. Uh, so this is a little gushy from Decadent Ales, and it's an India Pale Ale with orange puree, which maybe it means it's chunky. I don't know. Okay. I mean, the closest I have, I, I have Dead Guy Ale that could maybe be the, the oh, there's Johnny a dead Walker. Guy. Yeah. There's a couple. There. That, that's going to work. That's going to work. Yeah. I should have got Johnny Walker, but I was lazy and poor. Um, we, we have done Dead Guy Ale on multiple books, for multiple books on the fits podcast. Fits in a lot. So good choice. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, you got a good Venn diagram with that one. It's, you're going to be hard pressed to find a book where there is not a dead man at some point or another. Okay. How so, is it, Jimmy? Is it any good? Uh, it's pretty good. It tastes orangey. It's kind of like like 80-20 orange juice and beer. Like, like a beer mosa? Like a a beer, it is kind of a beer mosa, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a little bitter, but that's fine. It's, 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 I, it's like oranges. I'll give them to them. I personally find beer cocktails are very underrated. Like, um, I don't know. In Philly, we do you guys have citywides in your bars? No, I, do I don't think so. Okay, that's a Philly thing. Uh, in Philly, a citywide is pretty much like just the cheapest beer on the shelf, usually like a PBR pounder and a shot of whiskey. Which, oh, yeah, uh, we call those boiler makers. Well, uh, but that's the thing. I make a classic Boilermaker in that I dump the shot right into the beer because I don't like shots. I think that's like a classic Boilermaker, whereas here it's, you know, you do the one and then the other. But I love, oh, I love okay. beer cocktails like that. I first saw that in uh, the original Bad News Bears when Walter Matthau was doing that, like before hopping in the car, just putting a little bit of his flask into like a Mickey's Big Mouth. It's the good old days of drinking and driving and coaching Little League, <laughs> which is still pretty common, I think. Oh yeah, dude. Have you seen that movie lately? They th there's little kids yelling the N word, and that's like the movie. I I think there was baseball in there somewhere, but yeah, you know. And one kid rides the motorcycle, right? The one kid rides a motorcycle, and then he crashes, and then well, I was gonna say becomes the new Freddy Krueger. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Rorschach. Yeah, I, I see how you pulled the interesting move there of making the reference people actually remember. That's it's, it's basic, but that works out. <laughs> I don't know if anyone, I mean, I saw the new Elm Street, but I don't know if anyone else did. Maybe you. Yeah, I don't. It, it was fine. I know the reference. I didn't say it. I, I do not trust remakes. It, was, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It's just, you know, it's it's hard to make a movie where you want to be like, yeah, that's a cool child molester. Oh, Jesus. I mean, Michael, Michael Jackson did pretty well for himself. So, oh, yeah. I mean, He's the only one to pull it off. The new Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't quite a thriller, but it was uh, <laughs> it, it was extremely clear. Like, I feel like maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like in the original Elm Street, it wasn't. Oh, he fucked those kids. He fucked him. But like in this one, they find like a pile of Polaroids and like, oh, shit, he fucked those kids. Yeah, like, it's, there's no ambiguity. And they're like, oh, and like the kids find it like, oh, my God, it's all true. That's why I feel this way when it rains now. Like, it's, it's <laughs> oh, really God. hard. It was pretty dark. It was basically intense. like the, the old ones were kind of like almost goofy, but the new one was just like, no, he fucks kids and, and murders them. It's like, oh, yeah, nice. 
doesn't doesn't work quite as well with a docking song when they're like right up front with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, chapter 12. The teacher Tetsuko from the Rice Bowl Hill incident writes a letter to the investigator 30 years later, revealing things she had hid. The night before the incident, she had a vivid dream about having sex with her husband, who was away at war at the time. Even after waking, she felt as if she were still in the middle of that realistic erotic dream. Just as Setsuko reached the top of the hill with the children, she realized that her period had started. Setsuko cleaned herself up in the woods with some towels and returned to supervise the children, feeling guilty for allowing her to her mind to linger to the erotic dream in front of her students. And for and attracting she, bears. Sincerely. Yeah. Are there bears in Japan? A panda. There are bears. That's China. I thought they had. Oh, was I just accidentally <laughs> racist there? <laughs> Pandas all look alike. It's to just me. the national and, animal of China. But <laughs> I thought they had them in Japan too. Uh, okay, I they guess they absolutely. I mean, they have in the zoo. I yeah, suppose. they have them in the zoo. Technically, the- China owns all pandas. They just rent them out, like panda horse. <laughs> Didn't they have a thing recently panda where they, pimps. where in China they tried to pass off a Rottweiler as a wolf in a zoo somewhere? I believe it. Um, uh, but she mentions here like oh she feels like maybe maybe she got her period because she got like jostled around by the sex dream which like I'm not a woman but like I don't think that's how that works I think it does it does yeah I'm I'm like I'm like 70-30 <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that is that's how science works okay okay Go- ghost sex leads to periods got it yeah. I will uh... oh ghost sex absolutely <laughs> ghost you seen the deleted sex. scenes from the DVD of ghost disturbing when they oh god he's like oh god i just finished what's happening <laughs> whoopee what did you do to me last night um, they, they, uh, they they do have bears in japan though uh, that's what you know akitas, just had to check uh, no no check. akitas oh the dog i, I yeah. studied japanese gentlemen akitas oh. the dog were bred to fight bears <laughs> like that's what that dog is like <laughs> oh shit yeah they don't look like they could fight a bear they look soft as fuck I mean, I, they're fighting Japanese bears. Maybe those bears get distracted by like panties and vending machines. I don't know if they <laughs> are quite as ferocious as a grizzly, but they are. You know, they are. Uh, there are bear, definitely types of bears there. So she definitely endangered all these children. And oh, yeah. she was endangering well, them by like, they were let's also go eat wild mushrooms. Wild mushrooms. <laughs> they're picking oh, wild God. mushrooms. Even experts sometimes mistake wild the the poisonous wild mushrooms for the not poisonous ones. Isn't so, that how like, Into the Wild ended? I think. Uh, it was berries. Berries. Oh. Yeah. He mistook Chuck Berry for a wrong kind. <laughs> um, Those were Johnny B. Not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the children, Nakata, who will obviously meet, uh, approached, approached Setsuko with something in his hands. One of the bloody towels Setsuko had used to clean herself up. It's fucking gross. Uh, much, you, much, you, much. You dropped something. <laughs> Sen- sensei, I believe you love. Uh, Horrified, Setsuko began to beat Nakata while the other children watched as if frozen in place, which really does kind of attract attention to the whole thing. But uh, Setsuko begins to weep and apologize, but then the children collapsed. Later, none of them seemed to remember anything about the incident, which I can only assume means uh, very toxic menstrual ghost blood in there. Setsuko... So it's just a fucking miracle. None of the kids remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm keeping I, my job. Gonna get so many letters. <laughs> I mean, I just read it and it's sticking with me. Um, Setsuko writes that she never found out what happened to Nakata after the incident. 
Previously, he'd been a bright, if quiet, child. Setsuko had hoped to draw him out of his shell, but after the incident, he was hospitalized, and that was no longer possible. She closes her letter with a note that when her husband died shortly afterwards, she felt no shock at all. Ever since that day in the woods, it felt to Setsuko as if her husband's death was fated to be. Fate, definitely a theme of the book. Yes, everybody feels fated and pulled in certain ways, and they're dropping bodily fluids at the least convenient and expected time. That's uh, a normal Murakami book, yeah. Again, this is my first of any Murakami book, so these this are... This is one of his weirdest, by far. Hell yeah. Okay. None of these are tropes for me yet. I'll be... Will, will that be a little bit like... Uh, who was the other author we just mentioned who used the same thing over and over again? Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, his His are more like everything is so bizarre that it just like doesn't even make sense, but you still go with it. Yeah, no, I'm struggle to hold on. I, I'm very much enjoying so far. I mean, even like the cats, the, the cats are pretty cool characters in this book, even if they're talking to a strange, simple man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chapter 13. Kafka reveals that he has nowhere to stay and asks Oshima for help. Surprisingly, Oshima has a solution. Kafka can live in the library. In the meantime, Oshima will take Kafka somewhere he can stay for the night. Kafka is surprised but grateful. On the drive, Oshima tells Kafka that he has hemophilia. Normally, he's cautious, but he drives at reckless speeds because he would prefer to die instantly in a crash than slowly bleed to death. As the Miata speeds down increasingly dangerous mountain roads, Kafka decides not to worry about a fatal crash because Oshima has made it clear that he has no intention of dying. Kafka and Oshima arrive at a small log cabin deep in the forest. The cabin is sparse without electricity or running water. Outside is a dense forest, and Oshima warns Kafka that he will almost certainly get lost if he ventures into the trees. So I thought this was actually going to be more sinister when I first read this, because, like, how often is it? Oh, yeah, I got a place you can stay. Let's go drive for four hours and leave you in the middle of the woods. Let me take this teenager to a, to a cabin in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. How often does that turn out well? Yeah, Kafka is really getting like the VIP runaway experience right now. Maybe Japan's just better. I no. mean, no, definitely not. <laughs> Taking the bullet train to fuck town as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time he ended up at a stranger's house, he got a hand job. So he's like, hey, you know, how bad could what's be? the worst that could happen? <laughs> let it ride. This it guy could let me live in his here. garage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, chapter 13. Oh. God, you were gonna say? Oh no, it's just you know they, they they there's a lot of you know maybe uh, I don't I don't remember what happens from chapters thirty one uh, twenty one to the end. There's two chapters in a row where they talk about blood a lot. Like that can't be a coincidence, right? Like, oh yeah, we will have lady, more blood before this is over. Yeah, well, yeah, totally. It's like lady blood in the woods, blood in the car. That might be from I don't want to ruin anything. Maybe also, in the section before this, he woke up covered in blood. Yeah. Right, which we also we kind of like forget about randomly there's a there's a thing with blood and forgetting things instantly uh, but much like his mother and his sister their blood they forgot all about them until one came to jerk them off maybe possibly oh definitely blood is the best lubricant uh so that's that's just science i've been told that by nate <laughs> <laughs> so. i believe that it was his favorite uh, i don't know if it was the best <laughs> Man loves the taste of copper. What can we say? Um, right. Most readily available. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all you need to do is just put just put an extra hole, and it comes right on out. Uh, 
Nakata, Nakata meets a black and white cat, Akawa, who warns him that Goma is mixed up in some dangerous business that he'd rather not talk about. That evening, a huge, fierce-looking dog, black dog lumbers into the empty lot. He seems to be beckoning Nakata to follow, and he does. The dog leads Nakata into the living room of a large stone house. Seated on a swivel chair inside is a mysterious man in a long red coat, black vest, white trousers, and tall black boots. He takes a sip of whiskey and introduces himself as Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker reveals that he has Goma and that he will give Nakata an opportunity to get her back. But first, they will play a game. Nakata stays silent. So I wish I'd actually looked this up because I had trouble picturing this, what that outfit looks like. But since this is the internet and everything is everywhere here, let me see if I can Oh, the Johnny share. Walker look? Yeah, I want to I see how he's dressed. Like an old-timey guy who rides a horse in 1800s movies? I mean, yeah, every, wearing like everything I'm seeing here, he looks like a, a circus like ringleader. I mean, there's Lion definitely tamer? that element. He, he looks like a cross between like the Monopoly Man and Mr. Peanut and a jockey. <laughs> if you just like look up the Johnny Walker label, you'll see like the traditional, like the the current one. He's like I think a black and white. I mean, I'm not a, a Johnny Walker drinker, but if you find the old school one, you'll see. Uh, yeah, like there he is on the blue label. You can see. Okay, just, yeah. I see. You got kind of a kind of a dandy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. for it. Guy, let's see. There, there he is. Okay. Okay. So that this stands to reason. I just imagine that time marches on, and this man is going to find some cats to behead, to build a flute, no less. That's yeah. Why I don't that... drink Johnny Walker anymore. You don't support turning cats' souls into flutes. I mean, I mean, the music degree I had tells me that that's uh, <laughs> not the best way to make one. How they do it in Japan, maybe. That's a shakuhachi. That's different. Oh yeah. Okay, um, our stupid meeting is about to run up, so let's bounce off and jump on to the next link, which will be more than enough to get this wrapped up. Sounds good? Sounds cool. Good. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay. Need a sec. okay, and we're back, which I shouldn't say, because to you, we never went anywhere. I just burped. Don't mind me. Chapter 15. Uh, Oshima leaves Kafka alone in the dark woods to return in a few days. Kafka can't shake the feeling that he's being watched. In his head, Crow mocks him for being afraid of something so harmless as the dark. He drifts off to sleep. So I think this is the first time it is specifically stated. It's very much implied that Crow is something internal with Kafka, but this is the first time it's like Crow says in his head. Um, I don't, I, I obviously am not trying to spoil myself, but uh, what did you guys think Crow was at this point? Did you have any big guesses initially upon reading? I suspected from the beginning that it was in his head mm -hmm. that he was imagining it because it was just fucking weird like a boy named crow and he's talking to that and then there's no other like you know if this was like a book where like with talking animals and like a young adult fantasy world that would make sense but in the, what seemed to be at the, from the beginning a very sort of modern real japan mm. that seemed strange so by this point a whole bunch of other weird shit had happened so like yeah that's probably real not real either but uh Kafka, but i didn't understand anything else so i could be fucking i could have been way off very possible like i said, i'm i i unfortunately i have had uh postmodern literature disappoint me so much that like i'm loving this book so far but i'm fully prepared for it to one of the things that postmoderns have is i feel it fails spectacularly at sticking the landing 
a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still reserving the right to hate everything about this book if it just ends badly. The the Game of Thrones theory, if we're talking about a TV show thing. Fair. Okay. Well, it's going to continue to stay weird. I'm fine with that. Definitely going to continue. Okay. So this it, this part of the book is when it gets very very strange. And in okay. fact, would you would you call it stranger <laughs> than chocolate and coconut? I Not wouldn't. That, that sounds pretty unstrange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that is that the beer you were drinking there? <laughs> yes. This is called Stranger Than Chocolate and Coconut by Collective Arts. This is a. Hold on, I had it here. Where is it? Uh, no. Oh, it's a porter chocolate. with natural flavors. Those flavors being chocolate and coconut. Do you guys get any kind of the the, the the? Does anybody send you these to talk about, or do you just buy all of these? Just like whatever's available for you. We wish they sent them. I was going to say that'd be such a great setup. It would. We have uh, occasional ones that they gave us stuff. Yeah, occasionally been to some brewery. We've recorded several episodes at uh, breweries, and uh, they have been kind enough to give us some or a lot of the beers for free. Nice. Have you done like live? I mean, obviously you're saying you recorded at a brewery, but have you like live audience in attendance? No. Uh, live audience being one of the guys at the brewery. Yeah, the counts. Guy, the guy who pushing around a pile of hops and, <laughs> and a barrel. No, we we edit. We tend to edit the episodes partially because I mean, um, for like release, and then also to cut out things we don't want the real world to hear us say. Very very <laughs> important thing to have. Um. So be judicious when you edit this one. <laughs> Anything I, I will take out anything you ever want, or I can do the other thing is if anything bad you say, I will dub in myself saying something far worse to take the heat off of you. This is preemptive, especially for Nate. That's important that you do. <laughs> people who listen to our podcast know speech. Nate. Nate is the <laughs> Nate is the uh, extremely patient person on our podcast who deals with me and Jimmy saying fucking ridiculous garbage, <laughs> and and like like getting into. Like competitions where we try to see how many puns we can make with cheese, or like just we haven't named che- all the Spice Girls in like two years. We haven't, we haven't, yeah, it's, it's, it's we're due. Uh, it's, it's a bit chauvinist for us not to get into some girl power here, but um, it's scary Nate, how long Nate. it's been. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, what what is the gimmick with naming all the Spice Girls? Uh, it well, comes from we're making baby steps, and just we've done a few of them right now. <laughs> So basically, it started probably with drinking a beer. Gingerly. Yeah, it had a, a beer that had ginger flavor and then mm. made some sort of stupid Spice Girl pun. And then we just tried to find the way to get the other four Spice Girls in there. We were sporty about it. Yeah. I mean, okay. not to be too posh or anything. That's, all. that's it. <laughs> nice. uh, I feel like I'm involved. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and that's when four become one. Uh, but then. <laughs> it's uh, a very different DVD. It's a. De- <laughs> It's like a like a human centipede of dick and balls, but uh, Nate uh, has to is usually the one that keeps us on track with actually you know talking about the book, whereas Jimmy and I will get into the ridiculous tangents about stuff and and uh, and then I and cut s- most of it out later. Yeah, it gets cut. <laughs> it's usually pretty dumb. Oh god, that, that is the worst when you just like, oh my god, that was so fun, that was so good, and then you listen back to it like, oh, I'm gonna lose my job. That's uh, <laughs> not fun. Um, okay, 
Kafka settles down with a book about Adolf Eichmann. Speaking of canceling, let's get into some Nazis. Some light reading. <laughs> Oshima has scribbled some margin notes. Uh, our responsibility begins with the power to imagine. Thinking about his bloodstained shirt, the word resonates with Kafka. He worries that he will be held responsible for the contents of his dreams, even if he has no control over them. Which, I know they explained it a little bit, but it is still a little bit like, oh man, I'd hate to get in trouble for something I didn't even intend to do, just like Adolf Eichmann. It's a bit of a leap. <laughs> well, this is Japan. Oh yeah, that, true, true. They were, but I remember... Uh, as an old fan of mystery science theater, there was one random Japanese movie they were doing. And in like a scene where a giant monster was destroying a bunch of buildings, all of a sudden, no explanation. There's just a skyscraper with a 50 floor portrait of Adolf Hitler on the side exploding, just never addressed. <laughs> it's well, a maybe, metaphor. Yeah, maybe uh, in the book, his, his dreams, maybe he was just following orders. You know, it's not <laughs> his dreams told him what to do. It's not his fault. I, I know just it's not a good defense. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've heard that is actually an issue in China where like I, I had a friend who went over there for some comedy shows and he explained that like, uh, yeah, they don't understand why Hitler is bad. Just like, well, yeah, no, he was like, he, it, sure, he fucked up a little bit. And the way he pointed out, I was like, well, keep in mind, they still kind of very much look up to Mao over there and Mao killed like 50 million of his own people on a whoopsie. So, like, they have a very different litmus for things over there. It's not Mao's fault they didn't know how to make good iron in the furnaces in their backyards. <laughs> exactly. You should be able to take any farmer off the street and tell them to smelt in their backyard. And if they don't figure it out, they're clearly capitalist pigs that need to be, you know, use this fertilizer for the revolution to come. I mean, no China is not a free country, either. and so people, just because people are not allowed to say out loud Mao was a bad guy, doesn't mean that they wouldn't think it or wouldn't say it if they could. True. True. Very true. Um, Brought up your reasonable opinions, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, despite Oshima's warning, Kafka decides to venture into the woods. Almost immediately, he becomes disoriented and is chilled by the thought that he won't be able to find the cabin again. He manages to escape, but feels lucky. He falls asleep wishing Sakura were his real sister. Yeah, I'm, I'm really He's not lonely. I'm trying to figure out the motivation there. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a tenderness... I guess I, I I don't know. It, it can it can be all right. As somebody who in my younger years hooked up with some like older ladies, there is like a weird motherly approach that can fall in and like okay, I'll throw this out there. Um so again, having never met you guys before, I worked for a porn company for a little bit of time. It's okay, we didn't produce any of it, but uh I would write these articles for our website. We were like a streaming service. So we were trying to bring traffic. You're on. in it just for the articles. I was literally in it just <laughs> for the articles. You do, you're the one person. That was yep. <laughs> but literally for, the, literally for the articles. But another thing that happened while I was at this job is uh, Ron Jeremy was our spokesman. So one time Ron Jeremy came into town and I had to be his personal chaperone. I think it's pokesman, but go on. <laughs> and long story short, weirdest night of my life. I somehow end up backstage at a guar show with Ron Jeremy. And oh, yeah, probably yeah. not the weirdest thing to happen backstage at a Guar show. <laughs> probably not. No, Mike. Was... Mike and I are big Guar fans. Yeah, Guar. Yeah. 
Uh, it was. I haven't washed all the blue paint off my body still. <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw them too, and it could not have been more. It couldn't have been more surreal. Fucking oh, Ron Jeremy's here. Let's feed him to the worm. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, you got to. Oh, but the porn thing I was mentioning, I wrote an article all about uh, the muscle woman fetish because we would get a lot of movies in where it was just like these strong, like jacked ladies and they'd just be like squeezing dudes' heads and shit. And as part of this article, I did like a lot of research and I was talking to people who were into it just like, what's the appeal? What's going on? And you know what I found? To a man, every single person that loved these strong women, they all mentioned having older sisters who used to beat them up when they were little. It makes sense, but I don't know if it makes it better. Oh, no, it doesn't. Make, it, 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 make, it makes it filthier. And you know what filthier makes it? Sexier. So that's how that works. Anyway, nice to meet you guys. I'm glad. I'm, I'm sure you're very much like, yeah, we made a great decision coming on this fucking thing. I am just really, I want to know more later about Ron Jeremy's opinions on Gwar. <laughs> he seemed to enjoy them. Uh, honestly, that night, it was just fascinating watching over and over again people being like oh my god it's ron jeremy and then like wanting to be nowhere near him immediately after which is why he's locked up for sexual assault now i can tell you for a fact yes he is a hundred percent guilty yeah i don't think anyone was surprised by that no no um okay on the second day kafka repeats the same routine this time venturing slightly deeper into the forest his feeling of helplessness has melted away and he makes his way easily back to the cabin in the afternoon he washes himself in a rainstorm which leaves him feeling purified and calm Yet in his mind, Crow warns him that the calm won't last long. Inevitably, says Crow, Kafka will dream about raping his mother or sister. He worries about the consequences of his dream and imagination and thinks that, ultimately, those are things that he cannot control. So, things we cannot control. The Holocaust, raping your mother or sister, and uh, dreams. Children in the forest. (laughs) Children in the forest. <laughs> the teacher struggled with that too, apparently. I mean, hey, if if you can't control it, live and let live. Say, Levy, don't worry too much about it. You know. Yeah, this, this book. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything afterwards, but I don't get this book. This is now the second time skimming through it, frankly. But mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck is what is happening here. And I think uh, Murakami said basically as much when he's like, "There is lots of clues, and you'll need to like solve on like solve this riddle." And he doesn't know either. Yeah. Oh, so he has find out. Tell me. (laughs) So so he is kind of like the David Lynch thing of like, I'm not going to tell you the interpretations because they don't like it's whatever it means to you. That kind of thing. It's also a very postmodern approach to storytelling. Mm. Okay. Uh, Let's get right to the cats. Um, If anybody has like cat's head beer or whatever. That's what I got a little gushy for, but Mm. It worked earlier. I don't have any. I, you know, I, I don't looked, have, I don't but I couldn't find it. Mm. We've had plenty. Of, we did. We actually did an episode on the poems that became the movie slash musical Cats. Cats. Oh, God. <laughs> so we we've been through plenty. It's of the worst thing I ever read. Series. I I had an ex who was very convinced that T. S. Eliot was a was like a proto furry, and that was his entire inspiration. <laughs> I believe it. I it, I see no evidence to doubt. It makes that more theory. sense than cats. <laughs> I still liked it, man. Except like the racist cats. That was like, ooh. There were a lot of racist cats. But, you know, cats might be racist. We just can't hear their thoughts, so. Yeah, if only Nakata had had asked the right questions. (laughs) 
Have you seen Goma? Like, oh, she's one of those dirty ones. Um, <laughs> all right. Nakata, over, speaking of Goma, Nakata opens a large fridge to find that it's full of frozen, severed cat's heads. We've all been there. Luckily, Goma is not among them. Johnny Walker reveals that he kills cats in order to collect their souls, which he is using to make a special flute that will allow him to collect even larger souls, which allowed him to build a larger flute and so on. Nakata is confused because he's a simple man and can't follow, you know, simple things like this. Wait, John, I, let me read the quote of that exact thing where he <laughs> says why he's killing the cats because it's amazing. <coughs> Sorry. I'm killing them to collect their souls, which I use to create a special kind of flute. And when I blow that flute, it'll let me collect even larger souls. Then I collect perhaps larger souls and make an even bigger flute. Uh, perhaps in the end, I'll be able to make a flute so large it'll rival the universe. But first come the cats. <laughs> this is like, like this is like, the like un- that is epic. This Pyramid is the scheme. this is the uncensored first draft of like Super Mario Three with like the world changing flutes that they blow in there. Just for me, be. that's okay. It, I'm fine. It could it. be that makes sense. <laughs> Got a underwear is... gnome theme from it. You remember that South Park where that mm-hmm. underwear, like first underwear something then profit. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's like I have this is gonna scale very quickly. And everyone's like, "How? Just let it happen, man." <laughs> I did read that there is a there's a very weird connection here with this and um, Super Mario. Uh, in the library, when he's reading those books by Soseki, mm-hmm. who is a real author, I don't know, is he? But does a bunch of like weird uh, experimental books that people are kind of mixed feelings on. But one of his famous books is called "I Am a Cat." Yeah, it's a weird it's, book. It's a book about a cat, like being a cat. And he's like the, he's like a, he wants, I don't remember, I don't know what the story is, but the cat, since Japan has, since Japanese has all these incredible, intricate levels of formality in its mm. language, depending on who's speaking, the, the, for, the, uh, the formal level that the cat uses is a strange old archaic form of like when he says, I, it's like Wagoichi or something like that. That doesn't. That no one uses that anymore. Yeah. yeah, maybe I don't know. So the cat uses that, and very few people these days use it. Almost no one, except a few, a few like literary characters and Bowser. Oh. Ooh. Okay. So Bowser is like the conqueror was using this extremely like highfalutin reference to himself. Yeah. And it just awesome. Well, that's very interesting to know. I don't remember why I read that. I was looking up stuff about I am a cat because I wanted to know. Is this something I should read? I don't think it is, but maybe one day. <laughs> well, you know, that's, you know, in um, in Japan, like there are this horrifically difficult levels for an outsider to, to grasp the levels of honorific, uh, you know. That's the word, yeah. Language. And the emperor, it's, it basically there's like a level ranging from like how, you'd, how you would order a cockroach out of your presence all the way up to like how you would speak to God if he presented himself to Stopped you. Like, on by. Like, and there's like 40 levels in between there. And the emperor speaks in this extremely formal way that when the emperor at the end of World War II announced Ooh. over the radio, like, I am, we, we have lost. The war has not gone as planned. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the average person could not understand a lot of what he was saying because it was such formal. I mean, it's essentially, I, I guess the closest example I can think of is like, if someone if came out to make a speech, the president or governor, whoever, and they spoke in a, a Shakespearean soliloquy. <laughs> And you're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? I get a few words. What does this mean? <laughs> and that cat in I Am a Cat talks like that, as which is perfect for a cat, by the way, because cats are assholes. dicks. 
and think they're better than you. And so it's, 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 I like that that's a universal thing. Like, you know, in the States, we have that impression of cats. And in Japan, a century and a quarter ago, they also like cats are, cats are snobby. <laughs> wow. Things never change. Wow. Uh, so speaking of uh, cats who are about to be humbled, Johnny Walker reveals that Goma is among the next bunch of cats he has captured and plans to kill. He will return her to Nakata if he performs the tasks in exchange. Nakata must kill Johnny Walker. Johnny is tired of living and taking his own life isn't an option, which I'm hoping comes up again because they definitely hint it. So whistling cheerfully, Johnny Walker pulls out a live but paralyzed gray cat, cuts it open with a scalpel, removes its still peating heart, pops it in his mouth, and then uses the saw to cut off the cat's head. Uh, Johnny Walker dispatches a second cat in the same manner, still whistling cheerfully. Nakata feels a horrible confusion rising up within him, transforming his being and blurring his vision. Johnny pulls a third cat from the bag, Kawamura, who we've met previously. Before Nakata can act, Johnny cuts the cat open. Nakata begs him to stop, but he continues, pulling Mimi out of the bag. Nakata picks up a steak knife and plunges it into Johnny Walker's stomach. Johnny laughs and coughs up blood before collapsing on the floor dead. Nakata scoops up Mimi and Goma, who was in the bag, and tries to leave but can't stand up. He collapses on the sofa and loses consciousness. So... That's a hell of a scene. I really hope somebody like fil- there's no film version of this anywhere, is there? Uh, you have to go on the, no. the dark web, uh, and then you could find a lot of film versions. <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff like this. In this this particular scene, so I, so I really liked this scene for a specific reason, not the killing cats part. Mm. Um, but it's because in such a weird book. You it you okay? One of the dangers of such a of a book that's just so strange and so bizarre is that like anything could happen, and therefore there are no stakes. Like mm-hmm. there's no like tension. It could be written that way when something is just so bizarre. But this book, even though it's so weird, it really didn't feel that way to me, at least. I don't know about you guys. In this particular scene, when Johnny Walker says, "I need you to kill me," which doesn't make any sense at all, and then he's like. I'm just, and then he tells Nakata, I need you to kill me. I'm just going to keep killing these cats mm-hmm. until you kill me. It's so weird, but it's like so intense. And you can feel like Nakata being like, oh my God, do, do I do this? As he's literally watching Johnny Walker cut the cats open, eat their hearts, and then saw their heads off. It's like, oh my God. And then he finally does it. And it's like, holy shit. Anyway, and this is, I mean, this is only one chapter, but. This is also the chapter of the book that went from where the book went from. Yeah, this is definitely weird too. What <laughs> yeah. book is this? So I, I also I really I appreciate like one of one of the other books we did on here was um, Crying of Lot Forty Nine by Pinchon, where it gets into a lot of like surrealism and like kind of dreaminess. And I really appreciate that this book is like dabbling in the surreal, but all of it feels very real. Like there's nothing, there's no part of me that's like, oh, is Nakata hallucinate? No, this is a guy who is cutting out hearts and chewing on them, and I can picture it clear as day. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a very much like a magical realism thing. It's like, mm-hmm. look, take it or leave it. This is what's happening. It's 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 weird. Doesn't make sense, and I'm never going to explain it. But this is what's going on. Well, sort of like if this doesn't exist in your, and this this world doesn't obey the same rules as the regular world, so. You know, that that's like the mad like what you mean by magical realism, right? Like Yeah. These are the rules of this book and you're like, all right, I guess I'm, I'm fucking fucking talking cats and shit. Uh 
and uh, and Colonel Sanders later on. <laughs> All right, whatever. Oh yeah, That's Colonel cool. Sanders shows up. Whoops. Oh yeah. Ooh. Okay. Spoiler. All right. Well, let's Japanese Colonel Sanders. Oh. Except it is the Colonel. It's also the Colonel Sanders you're thinking of. Oh wait, wait. Does he do, does he show up on Christmas? Because I know in Japan he is like a major Christmas figure in Japan. I no, uh, not he on Christmas. Is a, I they, that's weird. I, I I have heard that like the <laughs> Christmas Day meal in Japan is ordering Kentucky Fried Chicken. I have yeah. I have heard that, but uh, <laughs> you, 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 have, you to, have to order you have to weeks re- in advance. Got to reserve it weeks in advance to get it. Yeah, that is not what happens in the book. Jesus but Colonel Sanders double down. does appear, <laughs> and he may or may not be a pimp. I'm just I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. Which is ah, true, also so for the certain. real the real Colonel Sanders may or may not have been a pimp. He I wore mean, all white. He yeah. dressed like he was going to the players' ball, <laughs> and he had like a like a like a that fine uh, Van Dyke thing. Gr- mm-hmm. That no that weird no, little weird little no tie. chicken chef has facial hair like that. Bitches and spices. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, chapter 17, by his third night in the cabin, Kafka feels a sense of peace and awe at nature. On the fourth day, Oshima r- returns while Kafka is napping naked on the porch of the cabin, which I just have to say, he really makes it seem like I've never had any intention of running around naked on an isolated farm, but he makes it sound like the coolest thing in the world. Well, they do mention in- his light colored, healthy, youthful penis several times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So he's got to get some color on it. That's why he's running around naked. Yeah, got to tan it a little. A sun-kissed penis, which uh, sounds sounds sis- like it sister, should be a sister beer. kissed. Sister kissed. <laughs> he could hope. <laughs> uh, Kafka tells Oshima he had a wonderful time, omitting his feelings of helplessness and wandering in the woods. On the drive back, Oshima observes that Kafka seems to be both seeking something and running away. He predicts that whatever Kafka seeks will not come in the form he expects. So a little bit like uh, the Odyssey there. For the rest of the drive, Oshima tells Kafka the story of Miss Saiki's troubled past. As a child, she fell in love with the oldest son of the Kimura family. They were inseparable, like one body and spirit, or like two halves of one whole in the ancient myth Oshima told Kafka of earlier. When the young man went to university in distant Tokyo, it felt as if he had been split apart with a knife. While her boyfriend was at university, Miss Saiki wrote a hauntingly beautiful song about her love for him. Uh, she recorded it, and it became a huge hit. The strange thing, says Oshima, is that the song is called Kafka on the Shore. Just as the song was becoming popular, Miss Saiki's boyfriend was killed accidentally during a student protest. Miss Saiki never sang again and soon disappeared. 20 years later, she returned to Takamatsu and took over the Kimura Memorial Library, where her boyfriend had lived when they were both teenagers. Kafka will take over the room where Miss Saiki's boyfriend used to live. So I went and looked up, and yeah, in the 60s, they had, um, it's, it's, it's parallel, but very, very different, the same way we had like the student protests, which were in, uh, against the draft in the Vietnam War. They had something called, I think it was like Zendikayo, that was this whole college uprising through Japan that like happened very organically where it was like a big communist thing where they were trying to fight like American oppression and trying to tear down the schools they were enrolled in and that's what happened to Miss Saiki's boyfriend is they think he's with the other people and they just kind of bludgeon him to death hmm. and apparently shit like that did actually happen so that was an interesting little uh I love when we have like nonsensical parallels between culture. Like, there's no real way this should have happened, but it just happened to be in common. This has been like 1968, the year that like everybody went bananas across 
everywhere? <laughs> Is that yeah. what this was? I don't know this Japanese. I don't know this event. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a weird. T- I heard about it and I forget what they were rioting about. There was a bunch of shit, but basically, uh, something about how they basically felt like they had no control over their own country because of they whether didn't. it was they had yeah, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it's also been just between you know the Americans and also they felt like the Japanese people in charge were not, you know, on their side, which they probably weren't either. But it was a weirdly complex thing that I think it involves knowing a lot about Japanese culture and history to <laughs> begin to understand it. But there were these huge fucking riots and they it was like it was almost like a street war for mm. a long time. And a bunch of people died. Like students would like barricade themselves in dorms and uh, like get into fights with cops and burn shit down. Yeah, I wonder how long that might have persisted in like the memory of Japanese culture, because I remember when I first saw the film Battle Royale famously stolen and, uh, you know, Americanized as the Hunger Games much more famously, where like the movie begins with like, you know, the students were protesting and like, because the entire premise of that film is like, the government decides like, we got to keep these kids in check, let's make them kill each other. And it seems pretty far fetched, but then hearing something like that, if they had this, like, this mass uprising of students where if instead of like, you know, burning their draft cards and making killer classic rock music, they were actively killing each other in the streets, you might be a little less forgiving of them, you know? Yeah. It's also a thing in Japanese culture where like, you know, there's an intense level that we don't have here of, you know, listening to your elders and Mm -hmm. sense of like your place in society. And there's much more of a collectivist thing than we have. So for them, like, to rebel against that yeah that, that's like what the fuck is wrong with these kids better let them kill each other mm-hmm. um all right gonna steamroll ahead we still have three chapters to get through and i know we're running out of time and i'm not going to put you guys through that again so chapter 18 well, something that Haruki definitely has he vividly remembers stabbing johnny walker but there is no blood on his hands or clothes however mimi and gomar are beside him which makes him think it wasn't a dream however he is no longer able to communicate with them Nakata returns Goma to her family. Feeling he must confess, Nakata approaches a policeman and tries to tell him what happened. The police assume yeah, this, this police comes, officer assumes Nakata is a crazy This comes right after stabbing Johnny Walker As and he then leaves, the fish Nakata warns him that it will rain fall from the sky, the day, so it's kind of like oh, nonsense, obviously. That's plausible. When sardines and mackerel inexplicably fall from the sky the next day, the police officer is shaken. Also the next day, the body of a famous sculptor is found stabbed to death in his home. Shocked, the police officer decides to keep quiet about Nakata's prophecy, but by then Nakata has left town. So we have weird shit raining, uh, raining mackerel. That, yeah, you know, it happens. Yeah, raining mackerel, of course, being the unreleased Slayer album following Raining Blood. I thought it was a Captain Beefheart song, uh, but sure. I thought it was whoever did It's Raining Men, but they sold out for a fishing <laughs> fishing commercial. That's by the Extreme Weather Girls. Oh, right. <laughs> that was that was the poor poor selling uh, follow up to it, it's it's raining man it's it's raining fish. They tried to cash in like the whoop there it is guys. Mm-hmm. The scoop there it is. Yeah, those guys are cashing in thirty years later. Oh, they, they, how much still could they good. have gotten? They cashed in right away with whoop the Adams family. There it is. Ooh. <laughs> Dude, the Adams Family soundtrack. <laughs> the Adams Family soundtrack is such a treasure trove of just early '90s hip hop garbage. Fucking MC Hammers. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say. Oh, Adams yeah. Family. <laughs> that so was a good. hit single. That, that charted. <laughs> Everything that man touched turned to gold until that just stopped. And sorry for that. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, chapter 19. Kafka settles into his new library room. At around 11.30, two serious women enter and begin to chastise Oshima as a male chauvinist for arranging the library in certain <laughs> anti-woman ways. Oshima announces they are wrong because he is not a male. Twist. Body explains that his body is physically female, but my mind's completely male. Identifies as a gay transgender man. Stunned, the, woman, the women leave. Kafka and Oshima discuss, ending with some great quotes here. Uh, quote, only people who've been discriminated against can really know how much it hurts. What disgusts me even more are people who have no imagination. The kind T.S. Eliot, callback, calls hollow men. People who fill up that lack of imagination with heartless bits of straw, not even aware of what they're doing. And the last one, those are exactly the kind of people who murdered Miss Saiki's boyfriend. Narrow minds devoid of imagination, intolerance, theories cut off from reality, empty terminology, usurped ideals, inflexible systems. These are the things that really flight, frighten me. Just mm, very good there. What did you guys... <laughs> if nothing else, how did oh, you yeah. guys react to uh, the Oshima being... Uh, <laughs> transgender i i guess well in this book i mean you just roll with it man it's the least crazy thing in the book it's like okay yeah <laughs> that's actually perfectly reasonable yeah. <laughs> mm. it, it it might be a hint that if you the <laughs> reader have been reading this book and come across oshima being trans and suddenly you're like oh i don't know how i feel about that like maybe the problem lies with him they hinted it a few times before this like when he's in the car and he's driving and he's like he checked his, his face to see how he'd shave it's like he looked like he'd never shaved a day in his life hmm. and you know i hadn't put it together until now but what's the thing we mentioned of blood always being an omen and this being a hemophiliac a hemophiliac who has never had their never had a period it is stated so this is somebody who is like lacking that very well lacking or yeah. <laughs> not engage with without being fatal. It this just, very extreme it just central thing to the plot. It just continues to get weird. It just continues to get weird. And if you try and predict what's going to happen, you're you're huh. not going to get it. Or make it past 13. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, not funny. So um, when I was when I was <laughs> circumcised as a baby, apparently they oh, fucked Jesus. it up because no. they immediately they immediately went to my mother after doing it and said, uh, "Do you have hemophilia in your family? Because he's still bleeding." Anyway, yeah, I'll just put that in there. I only have so many references for hemophilia, that being one of them. That's an important one. Yeah. If I can't talk about my baby, no dick, danger why of do that I even in this book. Podcast? So, <laughs> you're going to have your you words. Should, you should, you should uh, pace it out a little more. You're like, your baby dick, not your baby dick. That's, you want to. If I if, if I can't have baby dick leave my mouth whenever I want, then what are we even <laughs> that doing? That does happen. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just worried how the baby dick got into your mouth <laughs> if it's leaving it. <laughs> Like a Vienna sausage. <laughs> like, more like a cocktail weenie. Or it's like, well, it's not cock. Like, you don't call it a cocktail. It's a baby dick. It's a, it's a peeny tail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, final chapter. Chapter 20. Nakata keeps hitchhiking west. On the rest stop, Nakata sees a group of tattooed men beating and kicking another man on the ground in the parking lot. Nakata tells the men to stop, but they ignore him. Once again, he feels something foreign welling up inside of him, as he did when Johnny Walker was killing the cats. Looking to the sky, Nakata calmly opens his umbrella. As if on his command, the leeches begin to rain from the sky, and the young men flee. 
Shortly afterwards, Nakata finds a truck driver who will take him to Kobe. He is a 20-something man with a distinctive style, ponytail, earring, and flamboyant Hawaiian shirt. He says Nakata reminds him of his grandfather, which is why he agrees to help him. So, Nakata has lost the ability to uh, converse with cats, but it seems like he can predict and make happen very strange weather situations. He's leveled up. <laughs> Much better power. <laughs> so the, the question is, if we're moving sequentially, logically, talking to cats, controlling the Thank weather, you. what comes next? Are we talking invisibility? Are we talking like always gets 50% off? He can make the best hats in the world. He can. He always knows, like without even smelling it, if the milk has gone bad. He just like <laughs> looks at the containers. Like, nope, don't trust it. He can also guess within half an hour what time it is. <laughs> you wake him up in the middle of the night. God, is it? Is it between two fifteen and two forty-five? What are you doing? It's, it's too early. Uh, a, ble- a blessing and a curse, no doubt. <laughs> mm. Well, um, we can't. We're, we don't want to ruin anything that happens, you know, in the remainder of the book. You'll have to see because it's where a if fucking anywhere. trip. Yeah. Okay. Am I am I on the right path? Is this like a sequential thing that will keep going up until he becomes a flute himself? I don't know. Uh, oh, no. he's he, he's gonna go back to the hill where it all started and find that menstrual blood and then level up again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it doesn't follow any linear path. It's just it's it's just right and left turns. It'd be boring if you could. If you could figure yeah. this bizarre ass book out this early, I'm like, oh, he's gonna level up to someone. That'd be just too simple, man. It's gotta be it total, does, it, total rug pulling out from under your feet every so many chapters. Yeah. It it does ruin something if you can like guess too early, particularly something as insane as this. I we mean, can I, promise that you can ne- you'll never guess ever. Never guess. Okay. Uh I'm gonna make a Jesse's guessy then we will see an appearance of Frankenstein and the sex scene will be something else. All right. There are some weird sex scenes. I imagine more family comes into the play, but that is it for this episode. So the guys from the drunk guys book club podcast, that would be Mike, Jimmy and drunk Nate, as he is named (laughs) on the zoom thing, (laughs) guys, thank you so much for doing this again. Tell us where uh, anything you have to promote or where we can find it. You find our podcast anywhere where you could find fine or even less than fine podcasts. Uh, and you could you could check us out there, like Spotify and all that, iTunes and all that shit. And we also are on Twitter, Drunk Guys BC, as in book club. That's just and, too many letters. And Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. Also, you could uh, send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com if you want to tell us all the things we got wrong or right. We'll listen to either thing. I would say do that. That's how I got in touch with them and how they made the mistake to end up on this podcast talking about baby dicks. So you can also join our Goodreads group and talk about books there on off times that are not these times. Awesome. I think I will definitely do that because you guys had a lot of recommendations in this episode and I will have to look into them. So uh, guys, thank you very much for doing the podcast and I'll end this the way I always do. I'm going to stop recording and we can keep chatting for a second. See you everybody. Thanks so much for having me.